I want us to continue with our series on culture. And uh, we've got five cultural definitions that we're working through. And we've got to authenticity this week. So we've done honour, uh, which is receiving and releasing people according to how God sees them. We've done courage, encouraging and celebrating risk-taking faith. Today, authenticity, which is living transparently and truthfully without shame. And uh, just to sort of tell you what I'm going to do today, I just want to talk for a bit, first of all. I just want to talk around uh, this word authenticity. And then I want to come to the Bible. I want to do a bit of teaching. But mostly, I just want to talk to you about this word. Um, I think authenticity, the whole concept, what's behind it, is especially challenging. Uh, in some ways, I think it's more challenging than any of the others. So, or honour, I think we all get that, that we need to honour people. I think uh, we, we want to passionately love God, no particular debates over that one. I think we love the idea of family, being part of a family, but authenticity... That's a bit more difficult. And you know, for all of the other ones that we're doing, I've been able to look and see, uh, ah yes, we've, we've taught into that, we've taught into this, uh, this is how we've done it, we've laid a foundation here, uh, but with authenticity, uh, I've tried to do that, but actually what I've seen is it's a lot to do with what just happens. It's not so much something you can teach, it's something that you have to do, because the risk of just teaching it is hypocrisy. If I just teach it and don't do it, that's hypocrisy. So it's a challenge. And a lot of the doing often happens behind closed doors. That's the other challenge. Authenticity, I think, is more caught than taught, you find out if it's there from experience and non-experience. You can see where it is done and where it isn't done. So, for example, at home uh, with my children, I've never sort of sat down and taught them about authenticity. I've never said, you need to be more authentic, children. I don't like this lack of authenticity that we're seeing. I've never sort of said, look, this is how to be authentic, children. Let me, let me tell you about it. That would be kind of fake, teaching people how to be authentic. They either see it or they don't. And added to this, authenticity is challenging because inauthenticity or fakeness has a lot of acceptance in our society. And to some extent, people are used to acting one thing and being another. It's a big part of our celebrity culture. We're even conditioned to be like this ourselves. So it affects how we look or how we dress. And we can be very conscious of image and how we come across rather than being myself, and that's okay. And you think about it, we play games in virtual worlds. We have virtual friends who virtually like some of what we say or the photos that we share, which are probably photoshopped, they're fake too. <laughs> and you've got to ask yourself as you look at it, say, well, where is the connection? You know, where is the depths of friendship, the kinds of people who go through stuff together? Even families are so 
disparate, so far away or broken. The depth of relationship is hard to find. And the more you think about it, or at least I found the more I think about it, the more I've begun to wonder, is anything or anyone actually real anymore? You know, we're so conditioned to relational shallowness and image manipulation and marketing, it's almost a shock when you see the real thing. Somebody actually comes out and says what's really going on. And there's no doubt about it, authenticity is in short supply and therefore, in my mind, in great demand, especially when it comes to church and being church together. But there are some challenges here too. You know, for example, uh, one senior leader told me that my leadership style was too open. I was too... I was too open with how I felt and thought about things. That's what I was told. I was too open with my views, and it wouldn't be everybody's cup of tea. Literally, that's what was said to me. And that would probably mean people wouldn't want to join us, because people can't cope with such frankness and honesty, and apparently I need to work on my image more. So I bought a new shirt. Um, thank you. <laughs> I've just recorded that. I'm going to play it over and over later. <laughs> Another national leader advised me on one occasion not to confess my sin to my fellow leaders because it would affect their view of me and they would lose respect for me and that would damage my position. Needless to say, I have ignored these pieces of well-meant <laughs> advice. <laughs> but, you know, can you see how important it is that somehow we crack this? You know, doesn't the world deserve something better? And one of the reasons people don't go to church is because of the hypocrisy and the fakeness of Christians who don't really know what they believe or what they think about things. Surely they need something more real. Surely we do. We need something more real, something altogether more authentic. That's what I want. But what is authenticity? Well, it's about being real. It's about being true to yourself and being free to live without pretense or fear of shame. Or it's the quality of being authentic or genuine. And there are some things that it doesn't mean. Authenticity is not perfection. Being an authentic Christian doesn't mean everything is sewn up and sorted. I've heard a lot of that kind of nonsense around, and there's plenty on the internet. But that's not nearly real enough. Because real Christians are not perfect Christians, but sinners who Jesus calls saints. Can I hear an amen? Any sinners who are called to be saints? Yes. (laughs) Authenticity is not about perfection. Authenticity can't be imposed on others. You know, you sometimes get this situation where I've told you my stuff, now you need to tell me yours. And you think, well, I didn't really want to hear your stuff, actually. (laughs) 
That's just control or even manipulation. Sometimes you'll take a risk and share something and it just doesn't come back. People don't reciprocate. But you're responsible only for yourself and for how you live, not for that of others. Did you realize? Isn't that an incredible relief? I'm only responsible for myself. And it's down to each one of us to choose authenticity. And authenticity is not telling somebody what you really think about them. Or giving you an excuse to behave badly towards them and say, I was just being authentic. You know, the remember, remember the foundational culture we're going for is honor. You know, how we speak or act towards one another must be guided by this rather than insisting on the right to say or do whatever I want because, well, this is me being authentic. It's more like this is you being selfish and judgmental. I've been in those kind of Christian union meetings where we decide that it's only loving to tell everybody what we really think of them. That's not authenticity. And authenticity is not just about sin either. I've really struggled to write this talk and get everything into it, so I'm going to have to drop some hints, and we've done a lot on this already. But it's not just about sin, it's about the whole of our lives. Because we are more than the sins that we commit. As newborn children of God, we've got a lot more to offer. And being authentic about our gifts, our talents, and our callings is just as important, if not more so. And Steve and I had an agreement early on that we were going to stop apologizing for what we were good at. Isn't it ridiculous how we do that? Because we can't really own up to what we're called to do and the gifts that we've got, just in case it might come over as a bit proud or something. So that's authenticity, but what does it mean to have a culture of authenticity? Well, listen to this. This is it. It means creating an atmosphere of love and acceptance where people can be honest, painfully honest sometimes, about themselves. And to find in such an atmosphere the courage to be open about our strengths, imperfections and failings. It means to be vulnerable and to gain acceptance, to allow ourselves to be seen by another as we really are, all without fear of ridicule, shame or rejection. That's what it means to create a culture of authenticity. How does that sound? That's what we're going for. That's what we're working on. That's what we're practicing behind closed doors and beyond closed doors. And the reality is that very few people find a place where this is possible. And never mind a place. (laughs) Even find a relationship where this is possible with another human being. Because mostly we find the need to wear a mask, to pretend, to act. Why? Because anything else is social suicide. Have you ever done that? I remember once confessing a sin to somebody else, and from that time on they treated me differently. They couldn't cope with it. 
But if this is true, then how can we ever be authentic with one another? How is it possible? How is it possible? How is it possible to do church without that, really? So what stops this from being possible? Well, at the root of a culture of authenticity is a freedom from shame. You know, if there's, if there was no shame, just imagine that. If there was no shame, then people won't feel the need to hide their struggles, problems or sins in the same way. If there was no shame. And we all believe, don't we, that there is no condemnation for any of us in Christ. It's just when it comes to other Christians, we're not sure if that still applies. In Christ, I know there's no condemnation, but with other Christians, some of us have been bitten and been hurt. Not great experiences. Some have even received rejection from these other Christians. Even though everyone knows the verse that says, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But if you look at the way some Christians handle the sins of others, you think this only applies to people outside of the church, doesn't it? <laughs> now, over the years, I've had the privilege of hearing many people confess their sins, their weaknesses, their struggles, often with fear and tears of embarrassment and shame. And I've just known the cost that it's taken for that person to just come and fess up in that moment. I've just known it and I've felt for them. And do you know one of the most powerful things I've found about these times is when I've taken the risk and tried to find ways to identify with these people as much as I can. I've taken risks in it. I've said things like, I know. I know I've been there. I've experienced that. Actually, I'm struggling with that too right now. Or years ago, I had this. I know exactly what you're talking about. You won't believe. I am not the finished article either. And so rather than disconnecting from these people in their moment of vulnerability, I've tried to connect with them more deeply to reassure them and to encourage them. And it's scary. It's scary doing that. Because they come to you thinking, you've got all the answers, you're the leader kind of thing. And you think, actually, no. Authenticity. want to be authentic, even in how we help people. Because you know how the root... The reason for that, of course, is to reassure and to encourage people because at the root of shame, I've watched these brilliant TED Talks. I don't know if you like, once you start watching one TED Talk, you have to watch about a dozen, don't you? So I've wasted loads of time watching TED Talks this week. But Brené Brown is amazing. If you ever get to see any of her research done on shame, it's incredible. And one of the things she says is that after 10 or 15 years of studying shame. I mean, what What would you study that for? She actually had a breakdown in the process of doing it. But at the, at the root of shame, she says, is the fear of disconnection. It's the fear that you'll think less of me, that you'll back off me, that you'll isolate me with your judgment and superior moral position. Disconnection. 
And so people hesitate to make themselves so vulnerable because the need to connect and belong is so strong. But if we don't find safe places with one another here in the church, then where can we? See, if we want a culture of authenticity, we will need to do battle with shame. It's like the alternative culture to authenticity is a culture of pretense and shame, or Jesus called it hypocrisy. I don't want a church like that. And if people don't join us because of it, then that's okay. So how are we going to do this? Well, it's going to take some time and it's going to take some effort and some courage to make this work. And we're going to have to be intentional about it. And you know, what is encouraging to me is that this attribute of Jubilee was discovered from the words that many of you wrote about the church over the last year when we asked you for descriptions of what you saw in our culture. So it's about building on what is already here. Many of you have already experienced it or even been drawn to the church here because of it. But we want to take it a stage further and press into a fuller expression of it across the church. And I believe that it will make us very distinctive as a church. But again, I think authentic Christianity is a lot to do with pressing in to our understanding of identity. That's the talky bit, okay? I want to tell you, I want to share with you a verse from the Bible now, which I feel like God's given me. Um, I want to talk about authentic Christians, just in this second half. John Marshall made this rather helpful comment to us in the leadership team meeting recently. Here we go. He said, honour is a how we... <laughs> Honour is how we relate to others, and authenticity is how I relate to myself. Yeah. That's some wise dude called John Marshall. So it's about learning to see myself as God sees me, acknowledging my faults, but being secure in my identity. And this is a really good place to start and fits with this verse that God's put on my heart. Because I think this sums up what authentic Christianity is about. It's where Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, the first part of the verse, uh, sorry, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10, the first part of the verse, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. So authenticity, first of all, starts with identity. It starts with knowing who I am, being honest about who I am, And in this first I am that Paul writes, notice the but at the beginning of the sentence. And this is because I think Paul is referring to his previous life, his previous identity. Actually, he's referring back to verse 9 that says this, For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Amazing. Identity starts... Authenticity is identity. Paul's ministry was rooted in the man he was. There was no pretense, there was no covering it up. 
He didn't use his qualifications and rights as a Pharisee to create a platform for himself. No, he was grounded in the fact that he was a product of the gospel of grace. All have sinned, he says elsewhere. But in another place he says, but I more than anyone. And it's like he wore his past like a medal of honour, saying that he understood why God chose him so that Jesus could show the whole world what he could do with the worst case. Because he was saying, if God can do it for me, he can do it for you, he can do it for anybody. That's 1 Timothy 1.16. And authenticity comes from being totally honest about where we've come from and the things we've done. And it doesn't mean that everybody has to know everything about us, but somebody should. It keeps us grounded. And it should give us compassion when dealing with others because we know and have owned up to what we have done or what we are capable of or would have done if the circumstances allowed or in some cases if we would have been brave enough. Have you owned up? I mean, just think about it. You didn't do it. You were tempted. You didn't do it. But what if you had done What if you had done all that was on your mind? If you thought about it, Jesus says, it amounts to the same thing as doing it. And if this is true, then it would be wise not to stand in judgment of others. That's my simple place. I know what I could have done and I don't know where I could be today if Jesus hadn't stopped me. I really don't know what I could be into now. Romans 12.3 says that for by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Well, you would, wouldn't you? (laughs) If you considered the context of your life. See, authenticity starts with a sober assessment of who you are, who you really are. But of course it doesn't stop there. doesn't stop there. Authenticity also finishes with identity. Knowing who I am, being honest about who I am. In the second I am that Paul mentions here, I think Paul is referring to his new identity in Christ because of where the verse then goes. It then goes towards the future. Read the verse again, 1 Corinthians 15.10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than them all the other apostles he's talking about, yet not I, the grace of God that was with me. (laughs) You know, I've read this verse so many times. I worked harder than them all. And I've, I've always thought it was about working harder in terms of planting churches, preaching and traveling. Well, I think it is in part, but also what I've realized Because of the context of the passage, it's also about the ongoing work of grace that God needed to do in his life. I mean, if you think about his past, then you've got to understand that there was some work of grace that needed to be done. But this grace, God's supernatural favor working in his life, he says, wasn't without effect. It was very effective. 
But there was some hard work involved in this co-working with the grace of God. Don't know if you've ever thought about that with Paul. If he, if anybody had baggage, Paul did. If he had some stuff to work through, he had some stuff to work through. But he also had the help of others. I've been doing a bit of a study on his relationship with Barnabas. Maybe I'll share it with you some point, but it just struck me that this son of encouragement was the one who discovered and got alongside Paul. And it was Barnabas who released him when the other apostles were really unsure about this guy. (laughs) In fact, they rejected him. They kept him out of the company. But Barnabas brought him. There was also Silas, and there was Luke, hardly ever mentioned. I don't know what role they played in his life. But you see, God uses others to help us to discover who we are and who we're meant to be. And we need these kind of Barnabas-type people in our lives. I don't know where I would be if somebody hadn't said, do you know what, I think you've got this calling on your life. I remember once somebody saying to me, what are your calling verses? This is when I was a young teenager. I didn't even know what it meant. But as as we began to talk about it with this older man, he says, do you know what? You've got a calling one day to lead a church. I thought, oh my goodness. I'd never realized that's what it was. See, we have this new identity We're sons of God, we're new creations, we're royal people and we've got incredible potential. But then there is some honest working out of this that needs to be done for the grace of God to have effect. This new identity needs working out by the grace of God. See, what often happens in church is this. We become Christianized. You know, we learn how to behave in the right way, when to sit, when to stand, when to smile, when to look serious, when to say amen, when to lift your hands, when to laugh at the preacher's jokes. Thank you. (laughs) But this isn't authentic Christianity, especially when my jokes are not that funny. (laughs) This is not authentic Christianity. We need to get honest with ourselves about who we are. And what prevents us from being all that we can be? None of us have reached that limit of all that we can be yet. You know, shame and the thought that I should be further on than this. Or I shouldn't be struggling with this at my age. Or where I'm up to by now. I shouldn't be, but I am. Those kind of things stop us. They keep our new identity in the box and limit our effectiveness for the kingdom. I was talking to Angela Kem a little while ago and she's travelled around the UK now for the last 10 years, got to know lots of people. She said the two greatest strongholds that are stopping us being all that we can be are one, man's struggle with pornography. Two, people's struggle with money. Those two things alone, and people are not allowed to talk about either in our churches. These things limit our effectiveness. You know, as sons of God, 
We are empowered to live righteously and powerfully. And when we fail to do this, it's either because we've forgotten who we are and so need to be reminded, or we need to learn something new about the full extent of what God has done for us. Because none of us know the full extent of what God has done for us. In Ephesians, Paul says it's going to take the whole of eternity for us to even glimpse an iota of it. So none of us know here and now the full extent of what he's done for us and our potential in Christ. It's okay to get excited now. (laughs) It's challenging. And often these things, these revelations happen when we remove the mask and allow others to help us. Being authentic doesn't mean we don't have problems or mess up. It just means that we're honest about these things and we look to sort out, sort them out and clear up our mess. That's all it means to be authentic. Sometimes I'm an authentic failure. Sometimes I'm an authentic sinner. Sometimes I've just messed it right up. I'm really sorry. That's being authentic. And other times it's, I saw this man saved on the street. It was incredible. It's authentic both ways. Jesus. So, guys, how are we going to know if this aspect of our culture is working? Well, do you know, I think the first place that we'll see it if it's working is in the way that the church is led. Because authentic leaders are real people. You know, are are our leaders living transparent and open lives? Are we honest about our struggles and failures? Are our leaders real about their lives? Especially, you say, even leaders, especially leaders struggle from time to time. (laughs) Doesn't mean that leaders have to confess all their sins publicly and tell you everything that's going on in their lives all the time. You'll be relieved to know. But we do expect leaders to be open with one another at least about areas of difficulty, challenge, or sin. So in our leadership team meetings, we will often start with questions about how are we doing? And we try to be very honest about this. We talk about struggles, we confess areas of sin or temptation or failure if needed, and and we ask one another questions to make sure so that nobody misses out. You know when you go around the circle... Somebody say, well, how about you? You haven't spoken yet. Well, because we love each other. We want to protect each other and we want to spur one another on. You know, accountability is important to us, not in a heavy legalistic way. It protects us and spurs us on to do better. That hasn't always been my experience in the past. I've got to say, in this team that we're in, I can't wait to confess stuff. (sighs) It's such a relief to know that these guys love me. 
and they'll pray for me and ask me difficult questions about it later if I need it. And we do that for one another. I want you to know that that goes on. You can ask any one of the leadership team. That goes on. We don't always do it together publicly, but one-to-one we'll do it even. It goes on. It's important to us. So it starts with leadership. But this authenticity in leadership is also encouraging, you know? We've got this great text thing that we do where we actually encourage each other after the meetings. You know, I, I often need to be encouraged after I've preached. Sorry, but it's just, it's a vulnerable thing to do. And so I can't wait to get that text. It was great, or well done, or Simon says you misquoted that scripture. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> but to encourage one another and draw out one another's gifts, to spur one another on as well. That's happening already. We want that to spread. Is that okay? So that's in the leadership, but more broadly in the church, I think these are some of the things that we'd love to see as outcomes of this culture of authenticity. I just need to say this is already happening to some extent. We want to just fan the flames and see more, Okay. So the first thing is authentic people are real people. That's the second thing, sorry. Authentic people are real people. So authentic leaders are real people. Authentic people are real people. Not perfect, but honest and open about who they are and where they're up to. So I can imagine a change in the coffee queue conversations that they suddenly become more meaningful. You know, when you ask that question, how are you? And everybody thinks, oh my goodness, do I really answer this honestly? Well, yes, you're in a culture of authenticity. Well, I'm having a really bad time at the moment. That's what we want. Or, I really need you to pray for me at the moment. Or, if you're talking to Darren, he'll say, well, I had this amazing time and amazing stuff happened and this guy did this and this guy did that and it's incredible. That's authentic too. That's what we want. People that will encourage us with their own stories. We want that kind of authenticity just in the coffee queue. How about that? You don't need to be a leader, you see, to have these kinds of conversations. We all need one another in our lives, people that really know us and love us and care for us. And thirdly, authentic people are accepting people. You know, when you are sober about who you are and the grace that God has had to show you, loving others, whatever they've done and whatever state they're in, becomes more natural. You know, as Jesus says, he who is forgiven much loves much. It's true. And I think that this is a very attractive culture for people to be coming into and for seeing people make significant breakthroughs in their lives when authentic people are accepting people. You know, when people don't have to suffer the indignation of shame from other Christians... They can live more openly and make progress because other people's judgment is one less challenge to overcome. Have you ever thought about that? This is pretty radical, isn't it, do you think? And fourthly, authentic people are free people. Because when you start to live more openly without shame, you begin to walk in a whole new level of freedom. 
Because you see, most sin issues bind us because of secrecy. And that in itself becomes a bondage. When you open the door and the light gets in, the moths fly out of the cupboard. 1 John 1.6 says, If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. If we walk in the light... As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us 